Welcome this evening, this Palm Sunday evening, to this pre-recorded service here from Calvary Church in Brighton. You will have seen that we are um, an independent Baptist church on the south coast of England, normally 70 to 80 of us meeting on a Sunday morning back in normal times. My name is Philip Wells. I'm going to be introducing this evening. Uh, I work for the church as the minister, uh, but it's my privilege to hand over for the talk to uh, my dear friend and colleague John Woods, who's been so helpful to us over past months and who's going to be speaking to us again on the subject of the Christ who carried the cross. We are coming towards Easter and it's a wonderful time for reflecting on uh, the heart of the Christian message in the uh, Easter story of Christ who died and was buried and rose again. And uh, you'll have noticed uh, that there's a little series of five Easter questions which are available separately. And if you're a newcomer to Christian things, just looking, just interested, I do recommend those questions to you. They're available on this channel and uh, you'll find a link somewhere to guide you in the right direction. So welcome from me. We're told uh, in the Bible uh, to fix our thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest, whom we confess, and to fix our thoughts on him, to think about him. And that's exactly what we're able to do uh, in this particular week, at this particular season, and to remember his death and the meaning of it, that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. We, like sheep, have gone astray, turned each one to his own way, that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that's the song we're going to sing uh, in the book. It's 422. He was pierced for our transgressions. Yeah. 
with some let's pray together we come humbly before you almighty God living God redeeming God glorious God and we come to ask that our thoughts and minds and hearts might be fixed on Jesus Christ our Redeemer and that we might fix our eyes on him as we're told to to consider him in his work for us, in his sacrificial love, in his innocent righteousness, in his powerful resurrection, in his ascension into heaven, in his enthronement on high, in his power and interest in his church and grace towards his church, and in his one day coming to restore all things and make all things new. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And in the meanwhile, Lord, we pray that you would uphold each of your dear people with all that they might be going through, some lonely, some poorly, some stressed, some pressured, some isolated, but all needing each day your grace to know. Help us as a church in these times. May we find that you are the strong, reliable Lord who guides us through and may it please you to build your kingdom and cause your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and uh, that in future days more and more glory will come to your name. Pray for the churches that we know of, who, uh, gospel preaching churches, whether large or small, uh, around about here. Please strengthen each and every one. And we pray that as we come and listen to your word, it may do us good and stick in our hearts and change us. So we confess our sins that we need your forgiveness. We ask you to be at work.
to be changing us and making us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you'll be setting our hearts on him and not on anything else or anything less. So come and be with us in this time together this evening, we pray. Please bless our world with all its needs and the various governments of our nations and our country have mercy and cause people to turn to you and find their comfort and strength in the true and living God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read from Scripture in Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 31. And this is the scene as Jesus is led towards the cross. And these are the things that were said on that fateful day. Luke, 20, uh, Luke 23, verse 26. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and weep for your children. For behold, the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? There's the scene leading up to the cross. And we're going to sing about the cross. When I look at it, then uh, this is my response. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. And so I'll meet for those. 
compose so rich a crown. His life I'll hand over to John Woods. Let's pray again. Please help us to listen without being distracted. Help us to have open ears to hear and open hearts to receive your word and be changed by it. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, we, we see um, the disciples on the road with Jesus. It's uh, more than a metaphor, it's a, a reality. They really are travelling from A to B with Jesus. And in Luke's Gospel, um, ten whole chapters from chapter 9 through to chapter 19 are occupied with Jesus taking the significant journey towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. Uh, since chapter 19 in Luke's Gospel, Jesus has been in Jerusalem, in and around Jerusalem, uh, revealing himself and finally being arrested and tried. And here we find him on the final lap of his journey as he approaches the cross. In chapter 9, we have an anticipation of this in these words. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus is going to the cross not by mistake. It's not a tragic accident. Events have not somehow overcome him. He has taken this turn. He has taken this journey because this is his destination. This is his destiny. He is obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And as he approaches um, the cross, as he travels with the cross beam on his shoulder, we see a, a huge crowd jostling around him. We see a, a solitary figure who becomes a helper in his moment of distress. And we see a group of women who express their sorrow at what they're seeing. We're on the road with Jesus. What's interesting about this particular journey, and it's unique to Luke, 
is that Jesus speaks on this journey and he speaks with a prophetic voice that shows the people who are around exactly what's going on and exactly how they ought to respond to these events. Jesus speaks about the significance of the events that lead up to the crucifixion and we do well to listen to his voice on the road to the cross and on the cross itself when he gets there. The individual, um, the man who assists Jesus in his hour of need, is named as Simon of Cyrene. And he's, he's named because for the early church there would have been some significance in the naming. In fact, there's reference to his two sons in Romans chapter 16. Um, as though this event, this kind of seemingly random event where someone is randomly taken out of the crowd, has a deeper and long-lasting significance in the life of the person involved. Simon the Cyrene is selected to carry the crossbeam of Jesus, presumably because Jesus has become exhausted through the, the mockery and the trial and the beatings. Whatever the reason, Simon the Cyrene takes the crossbeam and carries it for Jesus. It is a simple act of service. Although um, in the Gospels so often um, nothing is quite as it seems. And maybe Luke is trying to um, say to us that uh, Simon of Cyrene was doing something that was even more significant than, than initially met the eye. He was carrying the cross of Jesus. For Jesus and for the disciples, for Christ and for Christians, all roads lead to the cross. Jesus's path, as we've seen in Luke, led to Jerusalem and led to this particular moment where he is crucified upon the cross. When he spoke in Luke chapter 9 about his death, about his crucifixion, he said to his disciples in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, if anyone would follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Um, maybe in Luke's mind, he makes that connection and he sees Simon the Cyrene symbolically becoming the first of those public disciples to take up the cross and follow Jesus. You know, sometimes when we are in an event, uh, we're, we're observing an event, we, we know we're there, but we don't really see the significance of it. It doesn't seem to be personally real to us. Simon was in the crowd in the general melee. He selected to uh, assist Jesus. Um, I suppose it would have been possible just to have done that and for it to have had no long-term impact on his life. Just as someone could be here tonight um, listening to this sermon without it really having an impact upon them at all. It's possible, isn't it, for a, a child to be taken to church or to be made to hear a sermon, not because they want to, but because their parents are doing it. And somehow for what's, what's said and what's done to have very little in the way of impact, lasting impact in their lives. Simon carried the cross of Jesus. The indications, the hints in the New Testament 
is that perhaps it meant a bit more than that. You're listening to a sermon about Jesus, about him going to the cross. You may hear some of the phrases, but it can mean more than that, if only we'll allow it to mean more. And there were women, and the women uh, were weeping and mourning for Jesus, uh, verse 27. Of course, Middle Eastern people uh, do wear their hearts on their sleeves, and they are able to express their feelings in a way that perhaps uh, the stiff upper lip Brit finds it difficult to understand. Public displays of sorrow, particularly by women, something which was a common occurrence in the first century world and, and still a common occurrence today. The women see Jesus and they weep and they wail. I wonder what they saw. Um, it's interesting that there is no physical description of Jesus in the Gospels. We don't know what he looks like. And there's no detailed physical description of the crucifixion either. Um, we're, we're told about the, the people who surround that event. We're told about some of the words that are spoken to Jesus and spoken by Jesus. But the actual physical representation is left to our imagination. They did see what looked like a very sad and sorry figure, a lone figure, trodding towards the cross. And quite obviously it, it stirred up sympathy, feelings of sympathy in their hearts. I mean, it's good to cry, isn't it? Um, sometimes tears can be beneficial. Uh, sometimes we can bottle them up, but sometimes we let them flow and uh, we we connect with our with our feelings. In this last week or so, there's been a, a vigil in various parts of the country uh, remembering um, a poor young woman who was brutally killed um, in the last week or so. And tears were shed, uh, candles were lit, voices were raised. Unfortunately, many of those events were hijacked by people with another agenda. But it's a reminder that we, we are human beings and we do have human feelings and we, we express them. And sometimes we express them in, in very physical ways with, um, with tears, um, maybe the beating of the chest. The women were weeping, but Jesus turns to them and he speaks. And it's important to recognise that these are unique words in Luke's gospel, unique experience, Jesus speaking on the road to the cross itself. Do not weep for me. Do not weep for me. You see, Jesus does not need our sympathy or our pity because he is planning to do this. This is his destiny. He does not need us to look sentimentally at what's going on. It's possible, isn't it, to, to look at Christian things, to think about the cross and think about it in sentimental terms and to cry, perhaps. But in the same way as we might cry at the end of a sad film or at the end of a sad story, that it's sentiment rather than spiritual insight. There was a psychological experience the women were feeling. They, they felt psychologically disturbed that a young life, a young promising life was coming to an end 
And there was sadness about that. But possibly it wasn't any deeper than that. Possibly it was just a psychological experience. It was sympathy and pity for someone who did not ask for that and does not need it. Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus knows where he is going. Jesus is in control. And that's one of the wonderful things that we see in the Gospels, the majestic, silent, calm control of Jesus. He is laying down his life. It's not being snatched from him. Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and weep for your children. Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. The grief would be better saved, says Jesus, for themselves and their children, because there will be many reasons in the future why such tears should be shed. For the time will come, says Jesus, when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and on the hills, cover us. These words echoing the prophets like Hosea in Hosea um, 11 verse 8 and echoed in Revelation 6 concerning uh, the judgments that are to come. We see um, people at such a moment of crisis that what they're facing is so horrible that they ask for the mountains to fall on them so that they might be spared the consequences of what has befallen them. In, uh, in Jewish society, it was considered to be a great blessing to have a child and a great blessing indeed to have many of children. And we see many stories. In fact, Luke's Gospel begins with one concerning Zechariah the priest and Elizabeth, an older childless couple, that um, there was a certain sorrow and shame about not having children. And Jesus says um, that things will be turned on their head, that the person who is perceived not to be blessed will be considered blessed for not having children because their children will not need to face what's coming. We hear people say it now, don't we? Um, I don't want to bring children into the world because it's such a horrible world. I want to spare children this, so therefore I'm, I'm not going to have children. And they make a conscious decision that will be the case. And Jesus says that's the way people will feel. It is so horrendous that they'd rather be childless and they'd rather that the mountains fell upon them. They'd rather that the, the earth opened up and swallowed them up because what is coming upon them is so terrible. Some see that the words of Jesus somehow reflect the words of Zechariah the prophet. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and grieve bitterly for him as one. Uh, maybe Jesus uh, recognises in the tears of these women uh, just a very faint echo of this prophecy of Zechariah because he is the firstborn son, the firstborn son of Mary and the firstborn, the one true eternal son of the living God who has come to earth. And this one, 
this firstborn is dying. He is giving his life. And although they didn't know it, though they didn't realise what their tears represented, maybe there is an echo in this deeper sorrow. Some of those people can cry, they don't know why they're crying. Why are you crying? I'm crying because they're crying. Why are you crying? I'm crying because they're crying. I don't know why I'm crying. Some people get set off very easily. But I suppose all tears are a reminder that we live in a world of pain and sorrow and loss. And some losses are greater than others. And I guess for, for anyone in the past year, the recognition that we lose a loved one and how tragic and sad that is, and particularly for a parent, a parent of any age, losing a child of any age is possibly one of the greatest losses that a human being can experience. Jesus seeks to give some context, some perspective to what's going on here, wants us to understand, wants his women to understand. And he, he speaks some um, words that are like a proverb, either quoting a proverb or uh, maybe coining a proverb. Verse 31. And if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? The point is that the fire hot enough to burn green wood will very quickly burn that which is dry. If the fire is so hot that it can consume green wood, wet, live wood, well, what will happen when the wood is as dry as tinder? They say, don't they, it's, um, it's kind of good, um, economically efficient, environmentally friendly to use kiln-dried logs in the wood burner or the fire rather than um, greener alternatives. Um, those things have not been dried out um, properly. And that's probably true. And Jesus refers to this contrast between green, undried tree and dry, bone-dry tree. If this has been done in the green tree, what will happen in the dry tree? If the innocent Jesus, uh, the green wood that does not kindle into flame very easily, can endure this experience of crucifixion, what will happen to the dry tree, the guilty, those guilty of crucifying Jesus, those guilty of rejecting Jesus, what will be their destiny? If the destiny of the green tree is destruction, what will be the destiny of the dry tree? If God has not spared Jesus, if the Father has not spared Jesus, his one and only Son, but has offered him up upon the cross, what will be the fate, the seriousness of judgment of those who have rejected the son that he loves. Jesus seems to be referring to something that he 
spoke about on a number of occasions in the Gospels, the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, which he speaks of in the other Gospels as a time when there would be unimaginable and unparalleled terror, a time when one stone would not stand on another in Jerusalem, when the whole city would be devastated. And that, according to history, is exactly what happened. Don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Weep for the prospect of being abandoned, of being devastated by this force that will come upon the city and destroy it. Here, the green tree is being crucified, is being destroyed. What will happen when the dry tree meets the full force of the flame of the wrath of empire and the wrath of God? Jesus is the green tree. And this story about the green tree um, is that which the story of Jesus swivels in Luke 23. So Pilate three times comes to the people and says, he's innocent. I find no basis for a charge against this man. He's an innocent man. Um, Pilate says, he's a green tree. You shouldn't burn the green tree is a green tree. He is innocent. No basis for a charge against this man. The person who is the representative of Roman rule and justice declares publicly three times, I find no basis for a charge against this man. He is innocent. He is innocent. And this theme continues as as Jesus is addressed by one of the men who was crucified alongside him. Now we're told in, in Mark's gospel that both men had insulted Jesus, but one of them grew silent and then said to the other man who was crucified the other side of Jesus, don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. You see, this is what happens when a human being is measured against Jesus. Against Jesus, the stray edge, all of us are shown up to be crooked. This man was not measuring himself against the other criminal dying on the cross. He was not measuring himself against the crowd. But it's kind of easy, isn't it, sometimes to let ourselves off the hook when we compare ourselves with other people. We're not as bad as that person or that person. But no, he compares himself with Jesus. And compared with Jesus, all of us fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the glory of Jesus. Measuring himself against Jesus, he says, I'm here because I deserve to be here. He does not deserve to be here. This man has done nothing wrong. If he's dying, he's dying for another cause. If he's dying, it's for another purpose. He's not dying because of his own sins. He must be dying for the sins of others. Of course, um, he would have had an insight into what was beating in the heart of Jesus. When Jesus 
prays on the cross there in verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. He would have heard those words. Who, when they're being crucified, prays for the forgiveness of those who crucify him? What kind of person is this? What kind of person is this who can love the enemy? Who can love those who are persecuting them? What kind of person is this? It's unnatural. It's supernatural. Of course, it is supernatural because Jesus is the Son of God. And beating in his heart is a divine heart of love. The man heard Jesus speak those words of forgiveness. And we can only assume that he felt that maybe there was an opportunity for him to experience forgiveness too. Jesus has many titles in the Gospels. Rabbi, Emmanuel, Son of Man, Messiah, Son of God. Son of David, so many titles. But here, in this final moment, one man looking to another man dying on the cross, he uses the very bare title, Jesus. The naked title, Jesus. Jesus is stripped and on the cross. Jesus is vulnerable upon the cross. And here the man takes the stripped-down title, Jesus. Jesus, which means, we're told in Luke and Matthew, that he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, saviour, Jesus, rescuer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me. No, he didn't look like a king, stripped and bloodied and beaten. He didn't look like a king. But suddenly this man's eyes were opened. But perhaps kings, real kings, look different. Maybe real kings rule in a different way. Maybe real kings rule and reign through sacrifice. Maybe real kings demonstrate their power through weakness. Maybe real kings have a power that cannot be summed up by how many armies they have or what technology of warfare they might have. But maybe their power is displayed in love, in reconciling love, the power to forgive, the power to give people a new start. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to this man and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Luke loves the word today. The angels appear to the shepherds. Today, in the town of David, a saviour is born, who is Christ the Lord. When Jesus steps into the synagogue in Nazareth, and he takes the scroll, and reads from Isaiah, he completes it, rolls up the scroll and says, today these words are fulfilled in your hearing. When Jesus goes to the home of Zacchaeus, at the end of that long road from Luke chapter 9 through to Luke 19, he says to Zacchaeus, 
And today salvation has come to this house, for this man has become a son of Abraham. And now upon the cross, today, today you will be with me in paradise. You see here, we are standing at the foot of the cross. And standing at the foot of the cross, we see true majesty. We see true kingship. We see Jesus conquering through sacrifice, conquering through forgiving love, breaking down resistance, not with force, not with the force of armies, but with the force of love, of tenderness, of kindness. And this man, the man crucified next to him, is melted by that reality. And we stand at the foot of the cross and we see that love that has come down to heaven to show us God's desire for us to be his. And we glimpse eternity. We glimpse the eternity that's on offer when we come to faith in Jesus. For this man, this man who looked to Jesus, he really saw. He saw by faith that Jesus was the true king and the true rescuer. He realised that he was guilty. He realised that he was empty. He realised he was lost. He was guilty and Jesus could forgive him. He was empty and Jesus could fill him. He was lost and Jesus had come to find him. This year is a hundred years since events um, in Lowestoft in 1921 um, in what was called a forgotten revival when God brought a man called Douglas Brown to preach in Lowestoft. And when I was a pastor there in Lowestoft, there was a man called Hector, who was a member of the church. And Hector um, had been around in 1921. He um, had a friend who was praying for him. Later, she became his wife. And one evening he was at the services. Douglas Brown was preaching. And when Douglas Brown was preaching at the end of the sermon, he'd sometimes walk up and down the aisles of the church praying and um, speaking to the people, urging them to become Christians. And in one moment, he stood beside Hector and he was silent for a while. And Hector felt his heart beating. And then he said, quoting from that story about Zacchaeus, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Hector, with his East Anglian accent, said, I, I knew I was lost. I knew I was lost. And at that moment, I felt the presence of Jesus and I felt the power of his forgiving love. And I experienced what it was to be found. That's what that man on the cross felt. The son of man had come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that man experienced what it was to be found. What about you? Have you been found by Jesus? 
Have you experienced the love of Jesus? Have you seen yourself measured against the straight edge that is Jesus and seen that you are crooked and guilty and that you need to be forgiven? See, the remarkable thing about this particular story is that it reminds us that we we don't need to spend a lifetime serving God to be saved. We don't need to uh, attend church every week all of our life to be saved. We don't need to be baptised to be saved. We don't need to be a church member to be saved. We don't need to collect brownie points and present them to God to be saved. This man had nothing. He had no bargaining chips. He simply saw Jesus and trusted him. The only thing that we can contribute to our salvation is the sins from which we need to be saved. Will you today look to Jesus and say, remember me, forgive me, rescue me? Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you that your love has been revealed to us in the Lord Jesus Christ through the cross. We pray that you will melt our hearts that we might experience the power of that love and the power of that acceptance. Perhaps for the first time today, help us to see ourselves crooked in relation to the straight edge of Jesus, but forgiven by the death of Jesus, that we might be with him, in fellowship with him, because he is accepted us as he accepted this dying thief. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So we've heard about the cross to which our Saviour headed uh, and once he was crowned with thorns but the head that was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now and he didn't stay in that place of ignominy but is now in the highest place that heaven affords is his by sovereign right the King of kings and Lord of lords and heaven's eternal light it's 498 if you're interested in the number, the head that once was crowned with thorns.
rector's brow The highest place that heaven affords Is his by sovereign right The King of kings and Lord of lords grateful for the word that we've heard and grateful to be able to sing and pray and read as we have been doing. And now let us close with a prayer. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Saviour be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and for evermore. Amen. Glory be to Jesus. That's the end of our time together. I will wish you goodbye and a happy Easter, and it's goodbye from me. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.